All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in our fifth and final wisdom slash poetic book. I mean, think about this. We have gone through all kinds of teachings. We've gone through the book of Job, and we never thought we were going to make it through. Then from Job, we went into Psalms, which I actually absolutely love, but it's really long. And then you went into Proverbs. So you go from David, you go from Job to David to Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Then you go into, I love our little painting over here that many did, Ecclesiastes. And now today is the fifth and final one. It's only going to be three lessons. It's probably one of the most interesting ones maybe that I've ever done. And we're going to talk about the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. Now think about this. The title, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Kevin, why would it be called the Song of Solomon? Because Solomon wrote it. Solomon wrote it. Now think about this. If you go to 1 Kings 4.32, it's just kind of a cool little fact about Solomon. Now if David could sing... Surely then his son would have some form of a, of a writing gift, and, and he does. And it says in 1 Kings 4.32, Solomon, he composed 3,000 Proverbs. Well, we got some of that checked off in the book of Proverbs. And then his songs numbered 1,005. I, I just love the fact that somebody actually counted all of these. Hey, Kevin, I need you to take inventory in the back of my, my songs. Got it. And then he's counting them back. Th- this is what it is. I mean, Solomon was clearly from Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) I mean, kind of kidding. I mean, the guy has a heart for whatever he's writing to turn into a tune. So when it's the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, really what you're even thinking, and I want you to think about it this way, uh, like the Holy of Holies or the King of Kings mentality. Like this is the best of the best. Does that make sense? Like what this one song is, and I, I love Mindy's painting here, you know, is that this is going to be the best that he has. And so you can call it the Song of Solomon. It's fine. You can call it the Song of Songs. In other words, this is the number one chart that Solomon has, has written. But either way, Solomon would have written this, you know, as he ruled over a united kingdom and he ruled for, for 40 years. Okay. There's two main characters. One of them is not even a question, Solomon. Now, the other one is, it's really what you would call the Shulamite, okay? The Shulamite woman. Now, there's a couple theories, and Kevin, if you go to Song of Songs, I feel like I should just say SOS, S-O-S. <laughs> if you go to Song of Songs 613, it's really this, this is the woman that we're talking about here, okay? It says, come back, come back, Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may look at you. Why are you looking at the Shulamite as you look at the dance of the two camps? This is who we're talking about, okay? The Shulamite uh, individual. Now, who is this person? Who is Solomon singing about, writing to, pondering literally from his heart? Well, there's a couple options. First of all, just make sure you know, the Shulamite is from Shunan. Shunim, S-H-U-N-E-M, okay? They would be a resident. It's about three miles north of the Jezreel Valley. Now, Rich, okay, the Jezreel Valley is surrounded by what key areas? What key um, uh, landscaping features are there? Well, you would have on the east side of the Jezreel Valley, you'd have the Mount of Transfiguration. On the west side, 
you would have Mount Carmel. Okay, why that's important, thank you, is, is that this is where she's located. The Jezreel Valley, just so you know, by the, by the end, what, what's ultimately going to happen in the Jezreel Valley? That would be where the Battle of Armageddon takes The place. Battle of Armageddon. So, but I think this is cool because you're going to hear in, in this song, he's going to describe his love for the, the Shulamite woman. And he's going to describe actually locations uh, around, uh, you know, where she lived. So it would be like me saying, okay, my wife is Laura. We've been married for 17 plus years. It'd be like all of a sudden me describing my wife, you know, as, um, uh, oh, you remind me of the Lost Lake eyes. <laughs> You know, like you're going to start using physical descriptions in places. Rich, that's pretty good, wasn't it, for the doves? So like you're going to start describing these places as a, as a reminder for your love for that person. So that's what he's doing. So she is three miles north of Jezreel Valley. Now, who is this person? We don't really know. I'll throw out some options. One could be maybe Pharaoh's daughter. Although I love this one. There's no evidence of this. <laughs> so I love it. It could be, but... There's not really a chance. Another one is maybe Abishag, A-B-I-S-H-A-G. This is the Shunammite who cared for, for David. Okay, just a thought, somebody who took care of, of uh, Solomon's dad, or the one that most people would say it's an unknown maiden, uh, unknown maiden from Shunem, okay, whose family lived in that area and whose family was employed by Solomon. The Shulamite woman that he's talking about in Song of Songs more than likely is his very first wife. Why do I say that? Because in 1 Kings 11.3, drum roll please, this guy forgot this love song. <laughs> How do I know? Because eventually, after the Shulamite woman, he married 699 other people. So he either wrote a lot more songs to them <laughs> or he fell away from his first love. But it says he had 700 wives who were princesses and then 300 concubines, and those people turned his heart away from the Lord. So we know is that Solomon, okay, he had, I don't even need to write it, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, but there's a really good chance that this is his first love letter to his first wife. It's kind of a cool picture here. Now, in, um, in the Song of Songs, what you're going to have is you've got a couple minor role players, Okay, and it's really confusing. I don't know if your guys' Bibles have this. Do they have a W or an M next to any of your of your writings, Rich? Does yours? Uh, there was a version I was looking at that does have it. So here's what I've done. And Sayla was asking my my youngest daughter was asking me. She's like, Dad, why do you have pink and blue, pink and blue, and the WMs? Because what you can't figure out is who's talking half the time in the Song of Songs. Is this Solomon? Is it the Shulamite woman? And then in the middle of those two discussions, you have the minor roles, and then all of a sudden you have a couple other people. A couple other people are what's called the daughters of Jerusalem. Okay? They might have been a part of actually Solomon's household staff, but they were around, they were interacting with Solomon, they were interacting with the Shulamite woman. They knew um, this individual. Now, the daughters of Jerusalem are a part of it, not a major role. Okay. Now, here's what gets interesting is that there is a little bit of a, a glimpse. May, maybe, maybe there's an affirmation of God's blessing, uh, the couple in this as well. So, so maybe one little section would involve God's blessing. I say that because a lot of people argue that, you know, it's almost like an Esther story. Like, hey, where do you see God in this? 
kind of deal, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, where do I see God in some of these uh, interactions? But some of the players, I hate to put it like that when you throw in God like that, but you have Solomon and the Shulamite, uh, Shulamite woman, the daughters of Jerusalem, maybe a reference to, to God. And then the last one that you would see is the Shulamite, the Shulamite's brothers. Okay, so actually maybe may a relative of the Shulamite woman. So these are the people that you're going to see in the Song of Songs. So if you're reading this, okay, as you're going through revived school and you're processing the Song of Solomon, like how do I get a grasp on this? I'm going to tell you first and foremost, regardless of what I teach, regardless of what you read, take your Bible. You got to do this, you guys. It's so huge. Take your Bible, even if it's not there, and you need to start highlighting like and breaking it up, putting a line. The woman's talking here. Solomon's talking here. Because when you're reading this, and, and here's what's crazy. When I went to Taylor University, okay, Laura and I have been dating for, at that time, we dated for, you know, three plus years at Taylor University. Uh, you know, for me, when I first saw her, you, you guys, you've heard the story, but I'm sitting in the back uh, we're taking a test inside the auditorium and uh, Laura walked up to the front. And it's kind of interesting because as Laura walked up to the front, there's this guy I don't even know. He's sitting next to me. I go, you see that girl? That's who I'm going to marry. And he looked at me. He goes, do you even know her? I go, I don't even know her name. I tell you that because, you know, at Taylor, I began to learn what we're going to talk through, really, this process of courtship. And that's really what Taylor was. You know, Taylor, for me, was... Uh, I don't want to say it this way because it's going to be an odd comparisons. But in chapters one uh, through three, the beginning of three, in fact, one, two. In fact, let me just write it up here. I want to break up and remember part of teaching through all 66 books. The first lesson, we're always going to spend a whole lot more time on the backdrop. And so you're going to see the courtship actually take place in one, two, through three, five. There's a word that I really like that John MacArthur involves with courtship. It's an anticipation. It's kind of like this, okay, what, what is it going to be like? How is this going to unfold? And it just kind of gets really interesting. Now, the rest of the, the teaching, you know, it gets into courtship, and then you get into the wedding. That we'll get to, but I want to give you a visual here of 3, 6 through 5, 1. Now, how our readings are broken up through the next couple of days it doesn't exactly go exactly with how, how they're broken up, but that's okay. So you have the courtship and anticipation. Then in 3, 6 through 5, 1, you're going to actually have the wedding. And there's going to be some terminology. I'm glad I have a beard today. I'm just going to try to prevent some of my blushing taking place. Because this is kind of some of the stuff we don't really, I don't know. When's the last time you've had a good message on sex in church? I, I don't know if I've ever had one. Kevin, Rich? Not that I can remember. Tom? I don't remember. <laughs> it's actually biblical. <laughs> and so I'm going to write down the word con consummation. I think I said that right. Consummation. And we'll begin to talk about even what that means if some of you don't know. But I will tell you some of these topics that we're going to talk about the next three days are a little bit more like, I don't know if I want my 12-year-old listening to this right now. I don't know if I need my eight-year-old. So just keep that in mind as we begin to talk about, I mean, really what it says in Song of Songs 1-1. It's Solomon's finest song. Think about it. He's writing a letter about courting a girl. 
Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, this is a dating section that we will begin to get into. And remember, if I'm going to start going back to my buddy Dave Perkins from Omaha, who was, you know, my best friend in college. And I said, Dave, I found the girl that I want to date. I found the girl, you know, that I want to spend my life with. And then I begin describing her to Dave like I'm going to be pretty honest. That's really what this is. This is an honest letter that says, man, I really like this girl. And into the point of courtship and anticipation, it's going to get to, we're going to see the wedding and the consummation. And then finally, what you're going to even see is, let me just write it uh, a little bit different here, the marriage. So like you talk about the wedding, the consummation, the marriage, and then you're going to even begin to talk about the celebration. But what I like about this book that I did not see and didn't even know, to be honest, was that there's tough times, even, even after the wedding and in their marriage. They walk through a a mini revival in their sexual relations. Like that's what they do. They begin to unfold this process of how do we, how do we make progress in this area of our life? And I just want to tell you now, very simple, like when I say the word sex and I talk about marital relations, you guys, it's designed by God. And so we really shouldn't have to, to blush, but we do because the enemy has completely abused this. That's really what's happened, you guys. And so for me, I just, I'm just going to talk practically. Like, I just want to get back to a better understanding. Why? Because I want this to help my marriage. I want this to help my daughters and my son learn what does it look like to have a healthy sexual relationship with your married person. That's really what this comes down to. And here's the craziest thing. All of this, remember all of this, we're after for one word. All of this should point to the Messiah. So how, how on earth does sex between man and woman, relationships between man and woman, how does that point to the Messiah? Well, here's what I love. What you're going to begin to see is how does a bridegroom and uh, the bride interact? And ultimately, Kevin, as we discussed offline here, ultimately what I really like is, is that there is a marriage theme here. Okay. now think about this. And I've already talked about how, you know, this this sensual pleasure or lustful perversion has taken it one way. But think about it. God's plan of marriage. It's a picture of of sexual intimacy between two people, which ultimately is a picture between. Can I just say this? Christ and the church. Like he wants us to be so intimate with the Lord. Like this is a picture about what he's longing for his people. Like, whoa, did you just go from the intimacy part? Yes, I did. And I love this picture. And I love this painting of Mindy. It's an incredible picture of the bridegroom and the bride and their longing to connect. And we'll talk about all the intimate things from the honey to the pomegranates to the doves and to the apples and to the grapes. Like all of this is going to point to the intimacy that he's longing for us to have with with him. Now, some people have gone so far, though, you guys, and I will not do this. They'll go so far that it doesn't have anything to do with an actual human relationship. This song is about Solomon and his wife that he loves. Like, there's no way around it. It is truly about two people. And so I don't want to just say, no, discredit that. No, this is something that we can learn from. But I do think, you guys, it really is. I do think there's a process that we can learn from that Solomon is a type of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And then in that, it points to the ultimate bridegroom himself. So, Kevin, there's a couple of different verses that we could go to today. But if you want to, let's just start in 2 Corinthians eleven two. 
And this is our one word that we have for Song of Songs. Second Corinthians eleven two says, For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I've promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. Do you, do you see this? How, how Christ has one, one. It's a virgin. And that virgin, uh, it's a picture of the body of Christ. One husband, one virgin. It's a cool picture. We got a couple other references here that I just think are really powerful. If you want to go to, uh, let's go to Revelation 19.7. Revelation 19.7, it says this, Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Look at this. And His wife has prepared herself. So the bride has prepared herself for the bridegroom. And so there's this image of of both of them getting ready. And that's what you're going to see in this love story of the Song of Songs. You're going to see truly a a love story. Not many people maybe don't know in the Gentile perspective. On the eighth day of Passover, uh, the Jewish folks actually read the Song of Songs. And they do this to remind them of God and, and His love for them and their love for Him. It's the, it's the Shema. Like you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Like this is what he's after. So Song of Songs is about an actual relationship between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. But it's also a picture of the Israelites that are reminded to have a relationship with the Lord. That's why they read it, read it on the eighth day of Passover. But it's also, you ready for this? It's for the ultimate picture of the bridegroom and the bride. And the bride needs to get ready because the bridegroom is coming. And the bridegroom resent, uh, represents Uh, Yeshua himself. All right, that's a lot, a lot of backdrop. But I'll tell you, this is a confusing book if you allow it to be. But if you pull back and just say, oh, wow, this this is what it's about, courtship? They're dating? And then they're going to get married? And then we're going to talk about their marriage and all of this, what this looks like with sexual relations? Okay, I'm I'm in. I'll, I'll learn about this. The battle, in my opinion, of understanding this is just understanding who's talking. Once you understand who's talking, you'll begin to get the breakdown. And so today, all we're going to focus on today is the courtship, the anticipation. Now, okay, from the very beginning in verse 2 through 4a, okay, what you're going to begin to see is the Shulamite woman, okay? And she says in verse 2, Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So she's describing Kevin who? Solomon. Solomon. So she's longing that he would kiss her with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. Don't you don't you remember dating, you know, Michelle or Shelly um, or Susan, you guys? And like for me, whenever my, my whenever Laura's name was mentioned when I was dating, like I don't know, there was just something like this. Call me cheesy, but it was like my heart just started to flutter. Like oh, I just. I just want to be around her. It's like there's this image of, oh, that he would kiss me. Now, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Laura and I had our first kiss. It was really not good. It wasn't like a seasoned kisser back then, you know, just so you guys know. And uh, we had a kiss. First kiss was at Ball State University, okay, in Muncie, Indiana. To the music. You ready? Not proud of this, but it's kind of cool to the eye of the tiger. <laughs> no way. <laughs> we were eating. You ready for this? Hey. No, I'm serious. We're eating wings and chicken. That's even funnier. And the eye of the tiger came up and I just thought, well, now's my time to make a move. (laughs) 
So I went and made a kiss. And I'm just going to tell you, it was an awkward kiss, not because of her, but probably because of me. I was just excited. I was like, this is fighting music and I'm kissing a girl like and chicken wings. Like there's just a lot of emotions going on in my head and I'm in college and I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so here's why I want to tell the story. We're all done. Okay. I knew it wasn't the greatest kiss and I knew that uh, I hope I didn't screw it up, you know? Okay. We go back to Taylor. Laura goes to East Olsen. I go to Second West. I get a phone call. She called me and she said, hey, will you come back for a second? I was like, sure. And I thought, you guys, I was done. Like, oh man, it was a horrible kiss. I can't believe I screwed this up. Like, I've been trying to court her. I've been trying to be her best friend. Like, literally, we've been friends, you know, and I was like, don't screw this up, Kyle. And she calls me back and she just wanted to kiss me again. She wanted to improve our first kiss. Like this right here. Oh, that he would kiss me. Yes. My wife apparently read this. My point is this is like, that's the longing in dating. There's an anticipation. I want to connect like that's it. Whether the music is playing in the background or not. Is there a different song? No. And we redeemed the kiss. I'll just say that. So I remember going back to Taylor to the guys. I was like, dude, she called me and she just called to kiss me. I was like, you know, I was like, I mean, I didn't say it like that. I was like, yeah, she called me. (laughs) We did a kiss. Anyway. So anyway, this is what she's longing for. Like I just, um, and listen to how she's describing him, you guys. She says, the fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. You no wonder young women adore you. Like other girls want to be with you. I get this. Verse four says this, take me with you. Let us hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to her, to his chamber. So she has this, this longing to be with Solomon. Now, there's a couple things that she's attracted to. His, his lips, his love, okay? Uh, his lotion, <laughs> I didn't come up with this list. And his lifestyle. Well, there we go. Got four L's. We got him. Lips, love, lotion, and lifestyle. And this is what she, what she says. Now, in the middle of this, remember our little minor role players, the daughters of Jerusalem? Somehow it's like they're singing in the background. It says, we will rejoice and be glad for you. We will praise your love more than wine. It is only right that they adore you. So they're jumping in saying, we kind of really hope this happens. That's really what it is. Now the Shulamite woman comes back in again. Okay. So she's still in this anticipation. She's still talking. And she says, daughters of Jerusalem, I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. This is a really interesting verse. And here's why. In verse six, she says this. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. For the sun has gazed on me. I was kind of like, what? what is this? She is truly, you guys, concerned about how weathered she looks because of the work. She's concerned about being dark, sun, complex, like this dark complexion. And she says, my mother's sons were angry with me, a.k.a. brothers. They made me a keeper of the vineyards. I've not kept my own vineyard. She's concerned about her own appearance. In other words, she doesn't. Nelson's commentary says this. She's comparing herself to the city maidens. And she's kind of like, I don't I don't know if I if I if I fit with what he wants. Country girl. She's a total country girl. And then in verse seven, it says this, a Shulamite says, tell me, you the one I love, where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, Solomon says, and he jumps in, most beautiful of women. So he, he, he just rests assured her. He's like, you know what? You're the best of the best. Don't worry about what you just said. I love you. He doesn't say that, but he says at that point, he says, you're absolutely stunning. 
He says, follow the tracks of the the flock and pasture your young goats near the shepherd's tents. He says, I compare you, my darling, okay, my dear uh, uh, companion to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Oh, you're so lovely. You remind me of a young female horse. <laughs> like, seriously, like this is his language, but you have to understand the context. Kevin, if you go to first Kings 10, 26 through 29, first Kings 10, 26 through 29, this is all Sol- Solomon knew. Solomon accumulated 1400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and then he stationed, stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. This guy owned lots of horses. And so surely as he interacts with his horses, he's trying to have a picture. And I think it's an absolutely beautiful picture. And he says in verse 10, your cheeks are beautiful with jewelry, your neck with its necklace. We will. And then he begins to even say, and don't you like this when you date? This is what I love about this. When you date, you give like gifts. You give these things and he says, don't worry, we're going to make gold jewelry for you, accented with silver and those heart boxes with chocolates, maybe a Starbucks gift card. But Solomon is saying, look, you're the most beautiful of all and I'm going to give you everything that you need. And then the Shulamite woman responds in verse 12. Now, remember, this is a song that Solomon is writing. It says, while the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. So now there's this anticipation, you guys, this anticipation of courtship. And the scripture says in verse 13, my love, which is talking about sexual love, just so you know, there's different types of love that it's written about. But my sexual love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. In other words, she's going to have a necklace around her and there's going to be this aroma of uh, aromatic gum is really what it is. From the balsam tree made into perfume, it can be either into liquid or solid, but she's going to wear something around her chest that is truly going to be like a a, a smell that's going to draw Solomon to her. And then she continues on and she says this, my love, again, same mentality, is a cluster of henna blossoms to me. In the vineyards of En Gedi, like there's this incredible picture that we have here. When I think of En Gedi, like I love En Gedi because this is a place, a couple of things where David found protection from Saul, right? He came here and he got ref- uh, refreshed, renewed. And so when I hear Song of Solomon, when I hear in, in uh, verse 14, my love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of En Gedi. What I hear is your presence, my presence, like there's something really refreshing about this. There's something like, I want that. I want to jump in. I want to be a part of this. That's what she's saying. And then in verse 15, Solomon responds. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are doves. I mean, the the eye mentality, okay? Purity, innocence, beauty. And I love what Mindy painted up here. She has two doves and they're looking each other with the eyes. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful, how very beautiful your eyes are Doves. John MacArthur says it's, it's this deep smoke gray eyes of the dove. And then finally in 16 and 17, it's a neat picture here, in my opinion, of uh, verse 16. The Shulamite woman says, how handsome you are. So uh, she re- he responds, right? And now all of a sudden she is now saying it's just this beautiful courtship, this uh, anticipation of what it would actually be like. And I'm I'm just going to tell you, they're talking about being married. They're talking about actually consummation. They're talking about sexual relations. And they're saying, oh, what it would look like. 
So she says, how handsome you are, my love. How delightful. Our bed is lush with foliage. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are cypresses. You guys, at this point, they're still, uh, they're still dating. So like this is the mindset of, oh, what it would be like. I do think it's interesting, and I just want to say this, even to have the beams of our house of cedars. Like if you're laying in a bed and you look up, you could probably see these cedar beams. So as they're experiencing their sexual relations, they're looking up. God has completely provided everything that they need, and they realize that they want to be with one another. And so hence you have a courtship. Now nothing has happened at this point, just so you guys know. Nothing has unfolded, but this is where we're going to go as we continue the story of Solomon and the Shulamite women, uh, the woman. Now, here's, I, I want to say this, though. Uh, there's a lot more in, in the rest of this chapter. We'll begin to keep tying this in as we go through the next couple days. But it's really, really important to understand that the bridegroom and the bride are a picture of the bridegroom and the bride, Jesus and the church. And it needs to stay pure. That's what we'll get to tomorrow. Thanks. 